0: This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. To find out more, visit SamovarLife.com. And by listeners like you. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. And welcome to episode 47 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors, directors, writers, filmmakers, agents, managers, personal finance gurus. And we package them up into this little podcast, which we offer for free every week. And we put it on the internet for you.
1: That's right. And of course, as always, we want to keep this as open a dialogue as possible. And so there are a ton of ways to get in touch with us, uh, like our voicemail number and our email
0: and our Twitter and our Facebook. And on today's episode, we have part two of our interview with personal finance guru Miata Edoga. She's the... Uh, founder of Abundance Bound, as well as an actor, writer, mother, and wife. So she wears a lot of hats and she does them all brilliantly. And we, when we, when we did the episode last week, we thought that Miana's interview would be only one part. We actually thought we'd be able to condense everything down into one section and just have that be the, the whole interview in one episode. But it was so good that we didn't want to cut anything. So we're actually going to extend it now into a part two, which is in today's episode. So enjoy. So, uh, it's been, uh, it's probably been a good five, six days since I've really talked to you last, and I know you got some exciting stuff to talk about today, so what's going on, dude? Mildly exciting, mildly
1: exciting. This is, this is one of those things where you go, yeah, but, (laughs) um, I, I booked a commercial. Which, under normal circumstances, would be awesome. These aren't normal circumstances, though. And and I don't want anybody to think I'm begrudging a job. People are going to be like, AJ is ungrateful. They're going to send us hate mail. But I'm not. I'm not being ungrateful. However, this is a non-union, web-only commercial. So... I'm a little afraid that they're going to be able to do whatever they want, <laughs> whatever they want with me when I show up on set.
0: Um, but it's for a big, it's for a pretty big client. It's for Toyota I mean, Prius, Toyota. So Toyota, I, I can't imagine yeah. there, it's going to be like a student film, jerky around kind of deal.
1: No, I, I think it's going to be well shot. I think it's going to be a professional, uh, you know, set. I think all of that is is going to be um, legitimate. I know that I will not be seeing any residuals from this. It's going to be a lot of work. They can keep us long hours, longer than probably the unions would allow, you know, or at least you would end up getting paid more if you were kept, you know. Can you share the, the premise of the <clears throat> commercial, like what you'll be doing, what the I think, situation is? I think so. And I think it's, it's funny because I think some of our listeners are going to go, oh, I went out on that, or oh, I heard about that, or oh, I saw that on the breakdowns. But essentially what it is is like, they're doing this mock, like, world record-setting thing. Like, basically, if you sit in a Prius and do something silly, if it's the first time it's been done, because you're doing it in a Prius, <sighs> right, uh, right. it's a world record. So things like, you know, <clears throat> most number of staples shot out of a stapler while balancing a quarter on your nose. Oh wow! In okay. the back, in the back of a Prius, right? And so they're gonna have these teams, um, and that's what I'm gonna be as a record setter. They're gonna have these teams, and they're gonna have these like pretend, um, you know, uh, correspondence like in the field, like saying like, "Oh, they're 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 going for this record. They're gonna break this record, and then we're all gonna be sitting in, you know, a Toyota Prius doing silly things like are you this." Just,
0: did they just ask you to improvise? Or are you just gonna basically so, do whatever the hell comes
1: to your mind? I had two auditions, and at both, yeah, it was mostly improvisation. They told us to become familiar with these um, these scripts, and I. Ha- for some reason this was a terrible actor thing for me to do but i did not study the sides because i had my intuition told me that it was not going to be important i looked at the sides and i was like something tells me that they're not going to use these and it totally Mm. wasn't important we showed up and 99 percent of the audition was improv i was Mm. totally right i don't know why i had that instinct but it just told me like these are not going to be important just show up and be yourself and um I got a callback went to the callback now the callback was crazy sauce we were there for like three and a half hours yeah and uh I had a really good friend there with me and he actually left early because he had a show to get to he couldn't stay we were we were sitting there I was sitting there talking to him and 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 uh, we were both like you know the only reason that we're here this long is because this is non-union if it was a union job uh I, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but a- after a certain number of hours you start getting paid for being at the audition. Really? Yes. Oh, you didn't I know did this. I did not know that. Oh, okay. No. So, this is this is actually a huge deal. Um and I saw, I can't remember who it was. I feel like it was either Ben Whitehairs blog, you know, uh playbills versus paying bills mm-hmm. or if it was Bonnie Gillespie that wrote an article somebody wrote an article about this on the internet. Um it had to do with signing into and out of auditions because a lot of actors have this fear that if they sign out at their audition, um, especially if they've been there for a long time, there will be some kind of like repercussion from the casting director. Like the casting director will see that and get upset because if you're kept for X amount of time, then you get you somehow you get paid by the union, but I think the casting directors either get ding; they have to pay for it. If somebody knows the real uh, procedure here, please tell us. Like, call the podcast or email us and tell us the exact procedure. But somehow the casting director gets a ding. Cool. So but you were there for three and a <clears> half hours, but you finally got in the room. Finally got in the room. Did you know? Once again, just a lot of improv, and um, and then left. And what was interesting is I got an email from um, the casting saying. Uh, thanks for coming in. But the agency has decided to go in a different direction. They emailed you specifically? Uh, they like emailed everybody. Oh, okay. Oh. And I was like, oh, well, that's a bummer. I spent three and a half hours at this callback, and now the, the agency, the ad agency, isn't even going to use this ad. Hmm. And I was like, ah, all right, well, so be it. Like, you know, It wasn't a huge loss. And then two days later, I got a phone call saying I booked it. That's trippy. It was very strange. Very strange. So we'll see. I mean, next time we meet and, and record the podcast, I will have rehearsed and shot the whole thing and I'll I'll be able cool. to
0: have more stories. I feel like that kind of thing happens a lot where they're like, we're going to go with it. No, we're not. Yes, we are. You know, like somebody, somebody didn't have a better idea, but they said they didn't like this one, but then the deadline came up and they had to go with this <laughs> one. anyway. You know, like I feel like that probably yeah. happens a lot. I'm sure it
1: does. It reminds me of like Mad Men because like, yeah, that's all yeah. about, you know, the advertising world. But yeah so what's uh, what's been going on with you man Well,
0: I had a sort of similar experience i, I had an uh, I had a meeting <coughs> meeting uh, this week <laughs> for uh, uh, like a, a web spot it was like a web not commercial but it was like a, a video they're they're grooming to kind of go viral um, from like a major network that I'd, I'd rather not say right now but um I got the, the side or I didn't get the sides for it. the sides were at the audition, but I got the call and the pay, it, pay wasn't that much and I was kind of like. Not happy about having to rearrange my day. So I kind of went over there and I was just, I walk in and there's like 30 Trevor imposters, you know, guys that look exactly (laughs) like me and dressed like right down to like the watch I have. It's like, I look at these guys and I'm like, oh my God, I can't stand just being a drone like this. But I walk in. And do you um, have those one or two? Sorry, to interrupt you. But do you have no. like those one or two actors that you
1: starting are starting to see at every single audition? I've seen a couple of the guys before. Yeah, and it's yeah. annoying. I'm definitely I'm <laughs> definitely starting to see that. Yeah. it's it's really crazy. Like I don't know if they recognize me, but I feel like we lock eyes every once in a while. That's a good like, sign, though. I'm like, oh, you were at my last
0: audition. <laughs> you you. <laughs> That's a really good sign, though, because that means that they're they're. You're one of those you're a, one of those few people that they're bringing back in again and again and again. When I first came I out here, sure. when I first came out of here, one of my um kind of weird contacts was Kerr Smith, who anybody who watched Dawson's Creek, he played the character named Jack, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was like the the gay high school kid on the show, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um so I, I met with Kerr once or twice and we we grabbed breakfast once, another time we went and grabbed coffee and I kind of got to know him a little bit and he told me that like at a certain point you go into auditions and you start seeing the same people over and over and over again and, and the right. casting directors uh, actually told him at one point that yeah they just got these ten actors that they really like and they're just kind of taking turns just rotating through them and said just sit tight your chance is going to come soon enough and obviously it did and yeah, I think Mark Atterbury even said like that he, he'll see the
1: same group of like four or five guys at an audition and they just rotate who gets the job
0: yeah i think <laughs> like that, not on purpose but i think that probably <clears> happens a lot yeah so anyway i walk in and there's a bunch of me imposters so i wasn't happy about this <laughs> trevor imposter so, and you know because it wasn't like a big profile job or anything so i was kind of just like whatever let's just do this and get it over with they're running an hour behind went into the room and suddenly got very nervous Ooh, one of those things where i was like i got this you know and I walked in because it was like a hosting spot, and so I started to feel really nervous, and I was also really hungry, so I was shaking, and I couldn't stop shaking because I was so hungry, and I couldn't, you know, what I mean? you know, when you get really hungry and just you kind of go you into like get that the jitters. that yeah. mode. So with the nerves, it was like it was just like exaggerated, and um, I read the spot, and they said they really liked it and they said you know you seem a little nervous just like let's try it again but like really really great work I read it again was able to calm myself a little bit and they were just like raving about it to my face they were just like you're so great this and that just like going on and on that's awesome man. and I walked out feeling like I'm gonna get a call back for sure if if I don't just book this job straight out I've never heard people be so so enthusiastic about me to my face right haven't heard a thing have not heard a thing you never know man And, you You know, I, I put it on Twitter and some people said like, yeah, you know, you never know what the networks think and you never know what this person thinks. You never know what the chain of command is. And somebody saw you and you look like their, their sister's ex-boyfriend that was a jerk. And so all of a sudden you're out of the running, no matter how good you are, you know, so you never know.
1: Yeah. And, and, and so many times you're not in the room with the decision makers, especially in the initial audition. And, and, you know, I've had similar experiences where people were raving, to my face in the room, never heard a thing, and then other ones was like, "Thanks, that's all I need to see for the day." And I got a call back, and you get it, yeah, you know, or you get or you or you book, yeah, exactly or you book it, yeah. Um, so so you you know you never know, and the other thing is too, like the other lesson to take away from that is like I can't tell you how many times I've heard actor after actor after actor tell me that they b- have booked so many more jobs where they didn't give a shit. When they walked in, like they walk in just like, ah, it's another audition. And they're
0: just going in with like this kind of energy. Like, oh my God. Well, Adam from a couple episodes ago, I'm not sure if we were recording when he said this, but he said, not caring has done wonders for my callback rate, (laughs) which is so funny. You know, you think if if anybody else, if you walked in for a job interview in any other industry and you were just like, yeah, yeah, what's up, what's going on? Let's get this over with, you know? You, they would never consider you for the, for the spot, you know? But when you are an actor, something about that just reads as professional, you know? I guess because we go on so many of them. Yeah. That's, that's Man, I have to figure that one out. Are you suddenly more real when you're behaving that way? Like, that, what, I think it's a combination of that and the fact that so many actors go in there and really kind of, whether they know they're doing it or not, kind of suck up. A little bit to the casting directors, you know? Oh, they like show their desperation? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen people like that in auditions where they're sitting there, you know, and they've got their sides and they're going over and then they, somebody calls their name and they perk up and, Hi, how are you today? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's, just, it's very sweet and very nice, but something seems false about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that those casting directors probably see that all the time. So when someone comes in and they've got the sides memorized and they're just like, let's do this let's just do the work and I want to get on with my day because that's all the casting director wants to do too is get on with their day. Get this thing cast and run right. to the next project. That's probably a breath of fresh air for them. I'm not saying everybody go out and be an asshole in your auditions. Be pleasant, be professional, but don't be false, I guess. Yeah. Because well, that that's my thinking is that that must read and they must get sick of
1: that. Part of being professional is being conscious of time is what I'm trying to say. Mm, like mm-hmm. that's part of being professional as well. I went on uh, my uh, fifth pilot audition of the season uh, the other day which was awesome and um they gave me the size for two roles and one role was only one page long and another role was like six or seven pages long and i actually liked the 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 role that was shorter the one page one i thought i could do more with it so i walk in the room and they're like oh what what did we give you they, they asked me <laughs> <clears throat> i was like well i i got both and they were like oh okay well which one did you think is funnier I'm like, okay. great. This is a trap that I'm walking into. I was like, the writer is probably sitting in this room, right. you know. So I said, I, I I told them the the shorter one, and they're like, okay, let's do that. So I I did it, and I got a bunch of laughs and everything, and, and, and it, you know, it finished. And uh, and and they were like, well, you can do the other one if you want to, I guess. Like, you know, they were like, we, you know, I've seen all I need to see, but like, if you want to do the other one, you can. And I was like, you know what? As far I I said this out loud. I said, you know what? Leave them wanting more. And I was like, "Thanks guys," and I left, and they were like, "Oh, cool, awesome, thanks because i didn't want to I didn't want to stick around and like I didn't want them to think like, Oh, that was the actor that like read for both. I wanted them to think that, oh, that was the actor that came in and like blew that one part out of the water. yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And you know time I, after talking to all these casting directors on the podcast, like time is such a a point of contention
0: for them because they don't have any of it, yeah. You know, they're always running, auditions are always running behind, Mm -hmm. it seems like. We think it's annoying as actors. Imagine how stressful it must be for the casting directors, Mm -hmm. even the session directors who are being paid just to run the camera. I mean, those guys are, must be like, they're probably under strict orders to get this thing done by four o'clock and it's 345, they still got to see 30 people. It's like, so I don't know, man, it's, it's, what's the moral of the story there? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, be professional.
1: And I would say, part, like I said, part of being professional means being time conscious. You know, yes, it's annoying that you have to sit there for an hour, but also remember that when you walk in the room, don't go around shaking everybody's hands and like yeah. wasting time. You go, you know, I can't remember which one of our guests said it, but like one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from our own podcast was when you walk in and they say, do you have any questions? The appropriate answer is, well, why don't I do it once and then we'll, we'll go from there. Like, I why, don't, why don't I show you the choices that I've made and then we'll go from there. If you who have notes that? from it was, it, I can't remember. It was, I can't, I don't remember hearing that. I think it was Bonnie. I, love it. I think it was Bonnie. I can't remember exactly who, who said it, but the, you know, somebody, a, a casting director or something, somebody that was a guest on our, maybe one of our listeners remembers, <laughs> but the appropriate answer, you know, if somebody, if you walk into a room and they ask, do you have any questions? The appropriate answer is, let me show you the choices that I've made. You know, and then we'll kind of go from there. I love that. I have used that so many times in auditions and you can see the look of relief. It's palpable on the casting director's face. Mm. They just go, oh, like, and it looks like they're making this face of like, thank God, an actor who knows what they're doing. If they want to redirect, gotten redirected, you know, you're, you're actually more likely to get redirected if you don't ask those questions up front. You Mm -hmm. just make your strong choices and go for it. And then you show them what you have. And if they're like, you know what? Um, I don't think he would laugh at that point. Try taking the humor out of it. I go, okay. And you do it again. And then you can show that you take direction well. So it's just like a win, 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 win throughout the audition. You know? Winning. Winning. Winning with Tiger's blood. I'm a warlock. How many Charlie Sheen references can I fit into No Teeth? Alright, we also have a voicemail that we want to get to on today's episode. This is a really interesting one. This one comes to us from uh, a gentleman by the name of Vance out of uh, Queens, New York. Um, he's asking us about um, basically ebook rights when it comes to plays. I thought it was kind of an interesting question, so check that out.
2: This past week I was looking into. Uh maybe getting a play or two for my, uh, e-reader that I have and realize that there isn't a single source where you can download, um, stage plays. And I feel like we're getting to that time now in this day and age, at least, where maybe actors would like to have, like, their, their iPhone in their hands while they're rehearsing on stage, going through and dealing with, uh, lines that way. But I also feel like, um, there could be the argument where maybe that's not like old school where you can't take the notes and this and that that you could. I was just curious your views on it and also um i I believe that the reason why they're not putting the plays up with ear reader stuff is because um they're concerned about the, the rights and that people could steal and copyright and all that um I, I feel like we've kind of moved past that in terms of um <laughs> kind of how we are in, in with copyrights and protecting rights. And, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the, they're just scared to move forward and get past
1: that. All right. Well, thank you, first of all, for calling in, Vance. Um, did you have anything you that comes to mind like
0: when you first heard this, this voicemail? Not really. I mean, it's a huge question because it deals with so many different aspects of the digitalization and the democratization of information. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we could talk for days, weeks on this. Yeah. The first thing I want to say is that... It, it, it
1: would be really interesting to have your script. What have you on your phone? And we're kind of already starting to see that already. Like we had, um, you know, um, David Lawrence on the podcast, and he's got his rehearsal app, um, which is in its second generation now, Rehearsal App Two. It's just twenty bucks now. You don't have to pay per script. Um, so you can go to the app store and check that out. And you can put your script in this app. Um, take um, uh, audio recordings. Uh, video recordings, pictures, um, and and take notes all on this one script while you're studying it. Um, you can make highlights on it and 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 use it to to kind of get off book. I don't know that I would necessarily use it um, as my reader if I was either reading through a play or using it as my script on stage. But the point I'm trying to make there is that we we're already starting to see, um, as you were saying, Trev, the sort of digitization of these scripts. The next thing that I want to kind of touch upon is the idea of the rights and and them being, and the, and the scripts themselves being on e-readers. One of the issues here is the fact that there are really only, I mean, when you boil it down, there are two major script publishing Companies on planet Earth. The two major publishers are Samuel French and Dramatist Play Service. So essentially, what you have to do is get those two giant publishers on board to have their stuff go electronic, go digital. The roadblocks there are many. And it does have a lot to do with what Vance was saying in his voicemail about people being a little bit old school. They're missing out on a huge opportunity, a huge opportunity. Imagine, you know, I'm an actor and I don't even have a computer. Imagine all I have is like an iPad or something. And imagine I have an app that is like the Samuel French app or the Dramatist Play Service app. And I go in and I can browse through every every single script that's in their their catalog. I can purchase it right there in the app download it on my ipad read it right there maybe print copies of it you can't actually perform the play unless you submit unless you request the rights from them, that's illegal. So just, who cares if you just read it and who cares if you print it out? And who cares if you print it out, uh, printed out 15 copies and did a play
0: reading in your living room? What usually happens is someone buys the book or the play and they photocopy it for everybody in the cast anyway. Right, exactly. And it's, and it's you know, you once again,
1: they make, that's the other thing, is they make their, a lot of their money off of the rights when people buy the rights to actually perform the play. Now a lot of that obviously goes to the agency of the writer, the writer themselves, selves you know so on and so forth there's like like a whole um revenue stream basically going going backwards up the up the chain right to the to, to the writer and and their agency and i get all of that i i, I just don't want to see samuel french and dramatist play service become like the next blockbuster where you have them kind of going out of business because they refuse to kind of change and
0: grow yeah with
1: this you know with this this
0: Well, maybe 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 they're they're not doing it because there's no real impetus to do it for them. They don't see the profits in it. They don't see. Yes, it would be convenient for other people, but their system works just fine right now. I don't think. I wouldn't imagine they've experienced a drop off in sales in the past few years. It probably holds pretty steady because there's only a few places you can get plays anyway, and the market of people who want plays is so specific that they, they probably, they're probably largely unaffected by this stuff.
1: Yeah, but see, there, there it is again that in, in that they're missing a huge opportunity because you know we have listeners from all over the world Let, listen to this podcast, not just in New York, not just in Los Angeles. There are only four Samuel French buildings on the planet. There's two in Los Angeles, one in New York, and one in London. That's it. So if you don't live in one of those major markets, you don't have a Sam. You don't have a Sam French. There's people listening to this right now going, "Who the hell is Sam?" You can go onto their website, and there are other script publishing companies out there, not just these two big, um, you know, uh, dramatists and um, and Sam French. There's other places where you can where you can buy scripts, sure. But like, what if I'm in Minnesota and I want to read a play?
0: you got to call the L.A. stores or the New York stores and ask them to mail it to you. Yeah.
1: Why not just order it right there on your computer or your iPhone or your iPad or your Nook or your Kindle or your Zoom or your
0: Galaxy tablet? You see what I'm getting at here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, well, it makes it that, too, because when I get a, an audition or <clears throat> when I get a meeting... For, you know, a project. (laughs) If the script is available, I'll often just download it right to my iPhone and read it on my iPhone while I'm laying on the couch. Ditto. You know, I hate reading stuff on my computer, but I love reading stuff on my iPhone.
1: Yeah, it's greener.
0: You don't necessarily have to print everything out. You can get off book by reading it on your iPhone or your iPad. I totally agree. But I think that these plays that have, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of new plays being published through Sam French and MTA and and, uh, Dramatist, but... I'm thinking of the classic plays. I I don't know. Well, see, the classic plays, that's different because a lot of those are
1: actually, and thank you for bringing that up because this is something I did want to talk about. The classic plays, um, if they're out of copyright, they're actually, most of those are available for free from the different e-readers. Like you can go into your Kindle or the iBooks application on your iPad and you can download a doll's house. By Ibsen. Ibsen or, yeah. Right. Or like any Shakespeare play that you that you want to to, to read. Because those are out of out of
0: copyright. But like John Patrick Shanley, like his stuff's still in copyright. Definitely. You know? Well, he's still alive. I know, but, he, but I think of him and like Arthur Miller, who's, you know, like th- those, I think of those as classics too.
1: Absolutely. Or more, more
0: contemporary classics. Contemporary but, classics, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is I understand why they haven't quite gone that route yet. These, you know, Sam French and promise, mm-hmm. like why they haven't gone there yet. Because I, I don't, I don't imagine their business has been affected by not doing it.
1: True. You know True. what I mean? I think they could have
0: a big boom in business if they did it. We should do some more research on this. Uh, it would be cool to download the works of Ibsen to my Kindle or something. You know, be awesome. that would be pretty yeah. cool. Maybe you can. You think, can buy that stuff in Barnes and Noble. I think as long as it's like I said, off, uh, not not no longer in copyright. If it's an anthology, you can probably get it. Yeah, but uh, if it's an individual play, like a, you want to go to Sam French and get a John Patrick Shanley play, you probably, yeah, you'd have to get an anthology to get it right now. It has um, to be a book.
1: It depends on the play, but yeah,
0: I get. I, I get you know yeah, I, mean? I see what
1: you're getting at. We, wow. should, we should do some more research on this. Thank you for the question, Vance. This is a very interesting topic. I want to do some more research on it. You've kind of inspired me to that. So maybe we'll bring it up in a, in a future
0: episode. So we've got part two of our interview with Miata Idoga, who is a founder of Abundance Bound and a personal finance guru. I have officially given her that title in Trevorland. So enjoy part two of this interview and we'll catch you guys on the other side. really loved about the system and the thing that that still sticks out to me and stuff that was really helpful for me was the two steps which were one was um treating your artistic career as if it were a business and you talk about setting up a separate bank account for your business treating like i think a dba is what you talked about a doing business as
3: at least as a start absolutely
0: yeah and then you talked about um oh additional streams of income yeah and um what I loved about it is you talked about revenue modeling, and so you can actually see if this idea you have is is going to be tangible, right? Because you can actually break it down. Is it realistic for me to get this many clients per week? How much money is that per month? Can I sustain this? How right. am I going to get those things? And you have worksheets and everything, so it's it's fantastic. But I, I would really love to kind of spend a little bit of time, if we could, on on those two things those because here. I think those are two things that are pretty scary for a lot of artists. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And yet I have to say they're really fun. They can if you <laughs> yeah. treat them like a game, yeah. they can really start to be fun. So I love revenue modeling now. Like yeah. they, I love it. I love when a client brings me a new business idea and it's like, okay, let's really break it down. Let's figure out what would it take? For this to be the business that you want it to be, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the 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 step about sort of treating your artistic business like a business is so huge for so many of us, um, because what most of us do, Trevor, is we we mix everything together. We mix our personal lives and our artistic lives together, right? And we want and are committed to being successful business owners. We may not say it that way, but that's really what it is. If I am going to be a successful actor, then I am going to be a successful business owner. I am my own business as an actor, right? And so, what I have to do is I have to get really clear on what the financial ins and outs of that business are, right? Mm -hmm. So, Just, you know, the basic example that I like to use is that if you are an actor and you have a checking account, right? Right now, you probably have a checking account, right? Sure. And so you earn money as an actor and you deposit it into the checking account. But you may, at this point, still have a day job or day jobs, right? And so when you get paid for those, most of us are depositing the money from those jobs into the very same checking account. And then we pay for acting-type expenses. So we pay for our acting classes. We pay for new headshots. We pay for mailings and workshops. And we pay for that out of our checking account. But we also pay for groceries and getting the car washed and buying gas. We pay for all of that out of the same checking account. So we've completely... We don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. how is our business
0: actually doing? That's so tough to tell when it's all jumbled up. When it's all jumbled up. It's really
3: impossible to tell. Like, people think, we think, oh, yeah, but I kind of have an idea. But we don't have an idea because it's all totally muddled. And and the, the best way to always look at it is to always say, how I'm about to handle this, is that how a real business would handle it. Because the minute you ask someone, okay, you're the CEO of, you know, I don't know, give me a company, you're the CEO of IBM, sure, right? yeah. We know, even if we're just pretending, even if we're just acting as the CEO of IBM, right, we know that when it's time to go buy supplies for IBM, we are not pulling out our personal right. Card to pay for the supplies. And we also know that when we decide to go out to the movies with some friends, we're not pulling out our IBM account to pay for that. And if we are, we know that that's the sort of thing that's going to get us fired and put (laughs) in jail right? right, pretty quickly. But yet we do it with our own lives all the time. So that's, that's the criteria is what I want is for all of us as artists to start handling our business the way a real business would handle it. Right? So we have to have separate accounts, even if to start, it's just a separate personal account, you just go open a separate account in your name. But the only thing that you do in that account is business. So all of your acting income gets deposited into that account. All of your acting expenses get paid out of that account. If your acting income is not yet enough to cover your acting expenses, then you are going to loan money. To that account. I love that was but, such
0: a revelation for right? me. Make a personal loan Make to your business until to your it's business. up on its feet. That's what you would do anyway. That's with anything what else. you would do
3: anyway, yeah. and you would have a record of it, right? It wouldn't mm-hmm. just be like, oh, I need one hundred and twenty-five dollars, so I'm going to move it over. Oh, I need another two hundred fifty dollars, so I'm going to move it over. No, you would figure out in advance. This is what my monthly business expenses are. You would figure out in advance. Here's an average of what the business is earning right now, and so you would know in advance. Here's the average monthly shortfall, which would mean that in regular increments, for now, you are going to loan your business that amount of money. And then when your business starts earning a little more money, you're going to loan it less, and then you're going to loan it even less, and then one day, that business will start paying you back. And you'll have a record, just a simple record, a document on your computer of the amounts and the increments that, that money was loaned so that one day it can, it can pay it back.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's pretty cool to watch your business grow as you do that, too.
3: And that's then how we see our business grow. Yeah. In other words, if, if in 2008, let's say my acting business operated at a $10,000 loss for the year. Right. So, what it uh, and you
0: can write that off by and the you way. Can, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. if, Huge if, tax advantage
3: if you have the proper record. Exactly. But the problem yeah. is that many of us are writing it off. But we don't have the records to support it. It's all mixed in, and that's the kind of thing that gets us in trouble. But if you look like a legitimate business, and if you get audited, you can walk in with the records that prove that you're running a business, then you're going to be fine, right? But so if in 2008, I operated at a $10,000 loss, and then in 2009, I discovered that I operated at a $3,000 loss, isn't that growth, right? And then in 2010, I just break even still growth. 2011, I profit $2,000. Growth. But the only way that I'm going to know what the growth is and be able to make adjustments and different choices is if my systems are set up to actually track that. Yeah. You know? I love it. It's so, and what's exciting and it's so much more than just paperwork and extra paperwork. Although like one of the things I want to do is make a t- t-shirt that says like do paperwork or be poor because I really, <laughs> I, I really sort of believe that sometimes we avoid and we're like, Oh, but that's just extra work. Right. I don't want to do that extra work. Well, having a business requires more work than having a hobby. But Mm -hmm. having a business earns more money than having a hobby, right? Hobbies really usually don't earn money. They cost us a little bit of money, right? But having a business takes a little bit more work, but it also will provide you with more. And so I really, now I'm so of the mindset that you start how you intend to end up. If you intend to be a multi-million dollar business, then you darn well better set up the structures... To create yeah. that multi-million dollar business.
0: Set up the systems, yeah. Right. Now, this, this step was one of my favorites, uh, in particular because it was such a challenge for me to start thinking. My, it was a complete paradigm shift for me. Right. And one of my holdups, and I hope you don't mind if I kind of no, address this please. here, um, was I was like, okay, great. I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to set up my business account. Okay. It's going to be called, I guess, Trevor Algott. So, I, I, I guess we, we talked about DBAs right. uh, doing business as. Um, but then I was like, well... I, you know, I don't just act. Like I do some music. Sometimes I make money from this over here, which is still creative. So should I just make this a production company, or what should I do? And then all of a sudden, I, I got paralyzed because I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to include under that umbrella right. and what not to, because so many actors and artists are multifaceted and they make money in several different creative ways. So I think are you, you, we talked about this in one of the sessions, but. What's your kind of, like, two-minute response to how to handle something like that?
3: Yeah, so I, I think it is a personal choice, right? But the way I look at it is, what can you comfortably put under that mm-hmm. single umbrella, okay? So for me, yes, to me it is going to be Miata the artist, Is going to be my business, right? That business. And so that business is going to include my acting. It's going to include if I'm doing singing, any singing where I'm earning money, right? Or spending money. It is also going to include like anything that I'm writing. So if let's say that I also decide I'm going to teach acting, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that would fall under the same umbrella. It's me as artist, as performer, as creator, anything there in that umbrella. Now, putting them all under that umbrella doesn't mean that you're not going to specifically categorize them within that umbrella. So I still want to be clear of what money came in for me from teaching acting and what money came in for me from being in a commercial and what money came in for me from writing a screenplay. Right? (laughs) So the fact that I am putting them all in this account doesn't mean that I don't still have to be specific in my bookkeeping, right? right? right. And that is where you've got to get on a computerized system. So, you know, I happen to use QuickBooks, but like ultimately I think you should be using Quicken or some sort of computerized system to track these things because it allows me then to have subcategories within the umbrella. But the minute it leaves your artistic umbrella – then I think you have to have another business. So for me, for instance, Abundance Bound is definitely separate from me as a performer. Cool. If I have a dog walking business, I'm not going to put that in with my acting business, sure, right? Yeah. Or into Abundance Bound. It's going to be a separate thing. So I think you just have to sort of use your judgment as to what falls under this umbrella of sort of me as as artistic being and right. what needs to go live somewhere else?
0: Right, right. So, So it's really a judgment call. Uh,
3: yeah, it's a judgment call that I think for most of us, we're kind of going to be in the you know, we're we're all staying in kind of the same ballpark. Maybe you do stand-up work or you, you know, all of those voiceovers, things, yeah, or you do voiceovers, yeah. exactly. All of those things, to me, comfortably, I'm going to put in the same business. And viewing it as a production company, even before it's like a full-fledged incorporated production company, that to me can be a great way of sort of looking at your umbrella. So it becomes Trevor Algott, you know, productions. Mm-hmm. And what does your production company do you're and a one person, production? you're a one person yeah. production company. Yeah. And what do you do within that production company? You have maybe, you know, you have a voiceover aspect, you have a performance aspect. Maybe you also have a music aspect. You might also have an education aspect. If you decided to start teaching some aspect sure. of that right? writing aspect, a writing
0: aspect. It a is, writing there's, there's aspect. Million exactly. So your
3: production company things. might have all of those umbrellas. Right yeah. now. The only thing that I would then say is if one of those avenues starts to particularly take off, right, then it is probably going to make sense to split that one out.
0: Into a separate business account. Into a separate
3: business account. Okay. Because, you know, you may reach a point where suddenly voiceovers, you are doing so much. Like, voiceovers has taken off and you're making a ton of money doing voiceovers and you decide that you're also going to, you know, write a voiceover book or you're going to put out a CD set on voiceovers. Like, then you want to split that out from some of the other projects that you have. Going on. Does cool. that make sense?
0: Yeah, and I, I love the idea of of thinking of it this way because then you see every actor is an entrepreneur.
3: Exactly. And when
0: you said like you can have a separate checking ac- or a business checking account for your dog walking business, and you can have a separate one for this, all of a sudden you are a multiple business owner. Yes. And that's such a and I keep using this word, but it's such a paradigm shift from the struggling. Uh, I have to wait tables to, to support this acting habit. You know, I, how am I going to pay for headshots? It's like all of a sudden you are an organized business person. Exactly. And that is great training wheel. Uh, excuse me. That is great training wheels for down the line. When you do get to the point where you are ready to take that shift, like as you did, where you didn't want to, you want to start creating your own opportunities and you can create your production company. You can actually go full fledged, get it incorporated and everything. Then you, you kind of know how to run a creative business like this. Right. I I think it's the only way to go as an actor.
3: I I do. I mean, I really do, too, now. And, Mm. you know, honestly, Trevor, like, that is not to say that we don't keep pursuing every opportunity that exists in that other world. So every audition, every, you know, every opportunity that exists in that world of someone else needs to say yes, of course you still jump on those. But it's this idea of waiting for that. Yes. That just yes. doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Um, because I think ultimately that can just be a really, um, just emotionally debilitating world to live in. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. A friend of mine said, a um, friend of mine, let me think, it was actually the person, one of the guests we recently interviewed here said, it's great when you have your own projects going on and you're kind of self-producing your own work because then those those auditions where you were sweating outside the audition room and you were worried you were going to forget your lines. All that stuff is not quite as important. You still want to collaborate and and work with other people and it's a great opportunity to have, but you're not betting your whole life on it
3: exactly, because
0: you've got other outlets, other things that are in the works that have wheels turning. And it's just that I have to thank you because when I took that course, when I took the abundance bound course, that was a new concept for me and it completely changed the way I view myself as as an artist now, because I'm not just a wishy washy starving artist. Now I'm actually a business person as well. And right. it's thanks to all the things that I learned with abundance bound. But I'm not being paid to say <laughs> this, I mean it. <laughs> it's
3: really not. But doesn't it, you, sh- what also then happens is that you show up so much more powerfully mm. in all the things that you were doing before anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. So
0: And people smell that people, from a mile and away. <laughs>
3: exactly. And that's, what's amazing to me is that now I show up so much more powerfully in auditions, in agent meetings. And what's kind of funny is, you know, like when I made the leap to a higher level agent, and it was so fascinating to me because when I left the meeting with that agency, I I realized (laughs) we didn't discuss my resume or any of that at all. It never came up. We ended up getting into a conversation about Abundance Bound and finances and artists and what I was up to and what they thought and, like, talking about things that they were thinking about or struggling with. And we – I mean, and it was (laughs) a great conversation. But here's the thing. Like, so much in this industry, they assume that you've done the work needed on your craft. And that's going to show up quickly when they start getting you or helping you get opportunities. It's going to show up quickly if you haven't worked on your craft, Right. right? But what they want, I think is they want an interesting, engaging person to come into the room. And I think what I realized for myself is that, like, I used to go to meetings and try and be polite and, like, nice, you know? And that was mm-hmm. all very, like, and and hope that they would be okay with just the little bit of experience that I had because, you know, I'm a really nice person. And if you give me a chance, I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah. and And that's all fine, but it's kind of boring. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think yeah. that what they want is to to meet people who were really up to something who were yeah. out in the world doing stuff and i think that the more that we can do that the more powerfully we show up
0: in absolutely the world. yeah well you know put yourself in who would you rather work with you know right. if you were in their shoes right. you know absolutely the person who's making stuff happen on their own in their own life
3: and in their own life
0: yeah that's fantastic. Now, we're we're kind of getting to the end, unfortunately. Oh. I wish we could keep talking. But um, we have two questions we like to end every interview with. Um, and these are a little woo-woo, um, okay. so bear with me. But um, they always get some really interesting answers. And I love to hear um, what people say because my answers are constantly changing with this. But the first one is, do you feel like this career chose you? Or do you feel like you chose this career?
3: Oh, gosh. That's a great question. Um here's, oh, here's what I think that I would answer to that. I think that the career I have now and the career that I am creating now, the career that I am like so jazzed about, I chose. But that has grown and developed from a career that chose Me Mm -hmm. and that, I don't even know. Ever, some people listening to this may be like, What the hell is she talking about? (laughs) Right, (laughs) but um, but I think that you know, I and many artists probably feel this way. I think that you know, initially, I was given a gift, I was given a, a sort of um proclivity, I think might be the word towards um. Uh, performing and a kind of sensitivity uh, in terms of uh, human nature and understanding human nature and being able to portray that. Um, So I think I was given some, some quote-unquote, like natural uh, uh, abilities in that area that then, and so that in a sense chose me, but that then the choice to develop that, the choice to work at in class and to keep growing as an artist and the choice to keep learning how to create and how to build a career that that you can be excited about and inspired by you know i feel like mm. that's that's been that's been me
0: that's mm. that's very cool i i i love that answer because it kind of acknowledges that it, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's neat because that comes from a very humble place. Does that make sense? Like, I think I, hope uh, I think so. a lot of people are born with amazing talent. In fact, I would go so far as to say almost everybody is born with some incredible talents—artistic, creative, expressive talents—and. They either don't want to acknowledge it or they do acknowledge it, but don't want to fulfill it because they're scared, because they don't think they can, whatever it is. But I mean, like you you acknowledge that you were given something, but then you also acknowledge the work that you've put in to develop it. Right. And um, it's interesting because I've been reading a lot of Brian Tracy lately. Uh Uh-huh. And he talks about how you will always perform in a task proportional to the confidence level you have around your ability to perform that task. Right. And it's so interesting to think that, yes, I was given these things, but then it was my choice to go and develop it and, and build my confidence around it so I could more fully express it. Right. Um
3: Right. And that's yeah. that's where I feel like it is. You you get this gift and I'm so grateful for that. But then, you know, you gotta show up to it. it and and I feel like I have learned I've learned, I've been learning how to show up, how to show up stronger, how to show up better. And I hope that now I can, you know, one of my missions or callings or whatever, I believe is to try to be a support for other people who would like to show up powerfully Hmm. as well. And, you know, so hopefully I can do some of that too.
0: Well, I definitely think you're succeeding in that (laughs) from my experience. So the last question I have for you before we wrap this up is if you could... And this is a toughie. If you could take all this experience, all your time in this industry, teaching, uh, you know, working with the principles you've helped kind of sharpen with Abundance Bound, take everything in your life, especially being a parent, we didn't even get to talk about uh. how do you raise kids and do all this. <laughs> um, but if you could take all of that information and kind of distill it down into one nugget, this is like the desert island question. If you could you've take one CD on a desert island with you, what would it be? So, what would that nugget be? Let's say you had an actor come in and you only had time to tell them one thing about, you know, to send them off with. What would that one nugget be?
3: Oh gosh, Trevor. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um I think you must trust. You have to develop your own sense of who you are, right? And then I think it also lies in um, we do not have to make this journey alone. So I think the biggest nugget, if I was only able to give somebody one nugget, I mean, you you put me on a desert island, and I'm not sure how I feel <laughs> I about that. But, <laughs> but if hopefully they're not staying with me on the desert island, then what I would say is that we don't have to do this journey alone so find the mentors the friends the people who have gone before you on this road and walk with them learn from them take what you can because while i said in the previous question that i feel i have chosen and and committed to you know career that I am now creating in my life, without question, I have not done that without amazing teachers and partners and friends. And so that would have to be my nugget would be go find other nuggets because there are <laughs> a lot of them out there I love it. and and take the ones that speak to you um, and and just latch on.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much, Miata, for sitting down with us. If people want to find out more about you, about Abundance Bound, about the the myriad things that you're busy with, where can they they go?
3: Well, you know, in the past I would have said AbundanceBound.com, and they can definitely go there, and there's a lot of stuff and free resources there. But, you know, I'm really making an effort to be in this modern, like, time and era and keeping up with everything. And so what I would say now is in terms of really – being up with what I hope to share with you and what's going on, it's Facebook um, and just find the Abundance Bound page okay. um, because I am on there every day and I'm answering questions just so you can post there. I've got some really neat free gifts there for people and so what I'm discovering about it is that it's a place now where we can communicate in real time cool. and I love that cool. so I would say Facebook.
0: We'll have to make sure that we link our Inside Acting Facebook yes page to your page. Well, I guess we, we can like your page and then it will show up under and then our profile likes. it will show up and, and yeah, we'll so make we'll sure we do, do the same. I'm just <laughs> understanding all this
3: stuff. But Trevor, thank yeah. you. I think that what you are doing with this podcast is a gift for all of us in this artistic community. And I'm really, I'm honored to get to be a part of it. And I, I love that you're doing it.
1: All right. Welcome back, guys. So uh hope you enjoyed part two of our interview with uh, Miana Idoga. Um, some really great stuff
0: in there. Uh, I, this was like I, like I said with the last one. This is one of my it's one of my top favorite interviews because there's just so much good stuff you can do here. And just just the act of going out and setting up a separate bucket for all your acting money is brilliant. I've been on here for seven years, and it's like I heard about this in Abundance Bound, but we you know when I took the course. But mm-hmm. I, it just it just changes your whole mental paradigm when you go. Okay, here's my checking account, my business checking account for my business, right. all my creative endeavors. The money flows through this channel right here. Right. And there's no more mixture, and all of a sudden it's official. Yeah, I I I, I was thinking about the money that I was going to make on this
1: uh, this Toyota. A commercial and thinking like i should just use that to open up a, a checking account
0: you'll have to deposit i think a 100 bucks or so yeah. to start but um after that um i think they're virtually free if you if you have a your personal checking account at the same institution yeah yeah and if it's not free it's like five bucks a month it's not right. huge good stuff there yeah great stuff from miata i'm so so honored to have her on the podcast so, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention our picks of the week for episode 47. Uh, I know you've got a really great one, AJ.
1: Yeah. So, let her rip. Um, so, my pick of the week this week is a, a new podcast. Uh, it's only been around for, what is it, 12 episodes now? Um, called The Work, which was started by our friend, uh, Bonnie Gillespie. And uh, she uh, co-hosts it with um, her husband and a friend of theirs named Ryan. And they, the episodes range from about 16 to 30 minutes or so. Ours is... Ours. I'm already giving it away. Our episode is, is probably the longest they've ever had. It's 45 minutes long. Um, but what I like about their... their when, you say, when you say ours, it's because we were interviewed by them. Yes. Just, just
0: for people who don't, who don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They had us on the podcast uh, last week. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So we're episode twelve. So the, the 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 difference between their podcast and our podcast is they're much more um, uh, news focused, which I like. So if you say you know subscribe to like I know Trevor does, and and I subscribe to some of these newsletters. We subscribe to like the Hollywood Reporter like newsletter and get it in our inbox, you know, every, every day or every week or whatever. And you kind of consume these newsletters, and, and sometimes you're just like, oh, I'm over all the reading. Um, this is kind of a cool way of getting like your quick like. In, Entertainment industry news, um, I, I really like that they spend, you know, some time kind of kind of um, the first 10 to 15 minutes of their episodes are, are, are just that, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, this is also a very selfish pick of the week because, as Trevor was saying, uh, we are actually on episode 12 of The Work. We were interviewed by um, by uh, Bonnie and, and and Keith and Ryan on episode 12 of The Work. So you can go to their website, which is podcastingthework.com, and you can also do a search for The Work Podcast in iTunes and subscribe and, and download it and listen to some some pretty cool... Uh, additional inside acting content by uh, listening to episode 12 of, of their episode or their podcast which we're on and also checking out the raw unedited interview which is on our website it's on the very
0: top right under the uh you guys will see it it's hard it's impossible to miss under the low the inside acting logo we put a little image of their podcast with a, a link to download and listen to the unedited version of uh of our chat with the the work podcasts people, <laughs> um, and it's awesome. You know what I like about their podcast is they really do focus on the news stuff, and they have some really intelligent discussion about what's going on in the industry. And to have Bonnie's perspective on that stuff, and then also Ryan's perspective and Keith's. I mean, they, there's three different perspectives there, which I think it makes for some really stimulating stuff. And then they yeah. have people who are you know just getting out there and working. Um, you know, like I like to think we are. As guests on the podcast every week. So it's, it's really great stuff. What is your pick of the week? Sino? Well, my pick of the week is uh, a continuation of a, of a growing obsession that I have with iPhone camera apps. <laughs> yes. I cannot get enough yes. of them. I've downloaded four or five so far. And uh, my latest obsession, uh, which I downloaded a while ago, but I'm just kind of rediscovering, is Hipstamatic. I'm sure you guys have heard yes, of it. If you own iPhones, yes. it's two bucks. It takes photos and makes them look all retro and stuff. But it's fun because you can buy lenses and film and 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 flashes and actually experiment with different combinations of these and to get different effects. And if you combine. All your hipstamatic prints with another app that the same guys make called Swanko Lab. <laughs> you can you can add in chemicals and stuff and it's like a virtual dark room and you can develop your film and see how the chemicals affect each photo as it's being developed. It's really really fun stuff and I, what I like about it too is it's not just mindless fun, it's creative fun. You know, you you can actually amass a pretty cool looking collection of photos. Uh just playing with different lenses and films and stuff. It's the closest thing to having an, an old school analog camera on your on your phone. I really feel like
1: Trevor's eyes are gonna stop working at some point because he's constantly looking through a lens, looking through looking through his phone through a lens. He's constantly, constantly taking pictures and it's I don't know, it's fun to watch and he's starting to amass this pretty as you said, awesome collection of photos on like
0: his Flickr feed and on his Instagram feed, and it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's really fun, yeah. So that, that's this week's. I'm sure I'll find another photo app to be all about next week. But uh, check it out, Hipstomatic. We'll have a link on the website, and of course, you can do a search for Hipstomatic in the App Store if you own an iPhone. So I think that does it for episode 47. We are only three episodes away from the Big Five O talk about it. <laughs> um, There's a million and different ways for you guys to support the podcast and be in touch with us. Of course, you can find us online at InsideActingPodcast.com where you can leave a comment. You can email us at podcast at gmail.com. You can call us on our
1: voicemail at 1- two one three two actors that's one two one three two 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 eight six seven seven keep it brief under uh, you know two minutes and uh, and clean please
0: <laughs> yes please and uh, you can also send us a Twitter uh, or a tweet rather on our Twitter account which is twittercom slash inside acting and if you want to really get extra credit you can send us each individual tweets uh, <laughs> I am twittercom slash Trevor I'm I'm twittercom slash digital actor you can leave a review on iTunes
1: or over at Actor rated.com just do a search for inside acting in both those places. You can also check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash inside acting. And of course, last
0: but not least, this is how you can be a super ultra mega awesome person. You can support us. All the (laughs) the other different ways of support are wonderful, and we don't take a single one of them for granted. But this podcast relies on donations from our listeners people like you who listen to it every week and get some real value out of it. If you guys did what we do, it would mean the world to us if you could kick us a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, and just show your support from the podcast from a financial standpoint because that is literally. What keeps us going? Money makes the world go round and money talks as far as we're concerned with this podcast because we have some equipment we need to replace. There's a lot of upgrades we want to do and um, we need your money. So send us a couple a tax deductible donation. You can go to insideactingpodcast.com. On the right-hand side of the website, there are two ways to donate. You can do a recurring monthly subscription anywhere from $3 to $20, or you can do a lump sum donation, $1.50, $100, whatever you want. It would certainly mean a lot to us and help us keep going for hopefully another 47 or more episodes. That's it. That's all I got. So all right. For episode 47, um, I'm Trevor Elgott.
1: I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, have fun in Trevorland.